Yes, uh, hi church. Good evening, indeed. Yes, the Lord has a message for us tonight. You know, as I was preparing for this message, and Pastor Barry asked me to do this, and by the way, it's an honor and a privilege unto the Lord. Um, I just kept going through First Peter. I mean, I was going back and forth through Scripture, and through the passages and the chapters. Not even to Second Peter, but it was just something about First Peter, and and God brought me to where we're at tonight and what we're going to speak about tonight and, and share. And and uh, this is about Him. Are you ready for a Bible study tonight? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do a Bible study. If you have your Bibles, open them up to First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two and. Follow along with me as I read verses from 4 to verse 10. From 4 to verse 10, but the main part of our study tonight is going to be the last two verses. But because of context, we're going to go verse 4 to 10. So picking it up there in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, You always, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Now, Peter here is going to identify the cornerstone as Jesus, and he's going to recite Isaiah 28, 6, which was prophesied. So we pick it up in verse 6a. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is a precious, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here in verses 4 to 8, Peter is giving us a picture of the great house that God is building, the church of Jesus Christ our Lord. Outlining all seven verses, Peter is addressing a part our a, a, partic- a participation in a, in a holy community or being a participant in a holy community. Now, throughout Peter's epistle, chapter 1, this writing, which an epistle is a letter, the church was being severely persecuted, suffering many trials. The date of this epistle, we do not know. It's uncertain. However, there's several 
major indications it was probably written around 63 or AD 63 to 68. <clears throat> the purpose of Peter's letter to the Christians of Asia Minor and those who received it was nothing more than encouragement. Peter was encouraging Christians with the comforting spiritual realities behind per- the persecutions that they faced to challenge and strengthen strengthen believers to stand against the onslaught that was being leveled against them to reinforce the glorious truth that the believer is only a stranger and a pilgrim upon the earth amen peter sensed that the message of holiness and dedication was especially needed during this period. Tonight we're going to look deeper into the last two verses, verses 9 and 10 of this passage we just read. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the marvelous light that even so so shines forth through your word into our hearts, Lord. So Lord, we welcome you in this place, but you came in with us. We didn't come from outside the doors into this building and you just appeared. You came in with us, Lord. So in our hearts and through your word, we commune with you now. So teach us, enlighten us, and encourage us. As we leave this place better prepared that we may apply what we learn here tonight. And be glorified in all that is said, done, and thought tonight in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message has both a question and a statement. Do we know who we are, the people of God? Do we know who we are, the people of God? During our current period... This season here that we're experiencing at CCT, we know about the feelings that attack our human emotions, don't we? Fear, concern, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, and even insecurity. These verses clearly tell us during this season, this season of time that even we today, 2,000 years, are experiencing Not only within our body, but outside, within our own lives. But that our real security, church, is this. Knowing that we are saved, that we belong to God, and that are looked after by God. Tonight's study is an encouragement. It's an encouragement for us and a reminder of who we were or or who we once were. And what we have become and where we're at today. Know who we are. We're not a people who stumble over Christ. A people who question his claims in deity and refuse to believe him. No, we're not a people like that. We are a people who believe Christ. A people who are building our lives upon the foundation stone of God's son. We have taken our lives and laid them upon him. We have entrusted our whole being into keeping of the, the keeping of Christ. Therefore, 
We know who we are. The people of God. The people he is building to live with him forever and ever. Earlier in verses 4 to 8, we read that believers are living stones. Believers are being built into a spiritual house, an eternal church. Believers are priests with open access to God. Believers are fulfillment of prophecy. Now, picking up in verse 9 again. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Basically here, what Paul is writing is about us, believers, his church. Here in scripture, are we not reminded what kind of people we are? We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, his own special people. Once we believe in God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we become very, very special to people. We become very special because we trust his son. God the Father only has one son. Only one son who has God's perfect nature. Who is holy, righteous, and pure. Loving and kind and gentle. Just as God the Father is. Only one son who came to earth to save mankind by dying on that cross. Well, not that one, but a cross, a tree. Showing us just how much God loves us. His son is so much, he loves his son so much that when a person comes to him with a repentant heart, with confession and a repentant heart, and trusts his son, I mean really believes him and believes and trusts in him, then that person becomes a very, very special person to God. We become participants in a holy community. We see here that God takes all believers and does four wonderful things out of verse 9. First, believers become a chosen generation. Interesting wordage that Paul uses. A chosen, he'll go back to the Old Testament. A chosen generation in the Greek is guenos eklektos. And the Greek word actually means a chosen or elect race. Remember that word race. This is a race of people. I also discovered in, uh, in Strong's uh, Greek concordance that verse 9 actually begins with, You, however, are a race in the Greek. You, however, are a race. Peter takes the term from the Old Testament, particularly that word chosen. It's the same, chosen or elect race. And he takes it from the Old Testament and reminds the people it's the same word that he used, that God used, when he was saying the same thing about Israel years earlier. Isaiah 43, 20, 21 
God said, my people, my chosen, this people I have formed myself. The idea is that of a new race of people, a new species, a unique body of people, a group who will serve him. One that differs entirely from all other races upon the earth. Now, this is a shocking statement to some people. Nevertheless, this is exactly what the word of God claims. God is creating a new race of people upon the earth. Believers from all the nations around the world. How? By the spirit of God. The spirit of God is changing people inwardly, not outwardly. He is not changing facial or skin features. Those mean little. They are superficial differences that change, age, perish, die, and decay ever so rapidly. No, God is changing people within their hearts and their minds and their lives. Changing them where it really matters. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 to 24, And be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Being renewed in our mind, created by God. God is implanting his divine nature within believers. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, God's divine nature is immediately implanted into his heart and his life. What happens? What does he become? The person becomes born again. Now, in some aspects of my message, I'm singing to the choir. You know this. We have to be reminded of this. We have to live this. Jesus said in John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, church, people who are once spiritually dead in sin and lost, their life is now being renewed by the Spirit of God. Yours has been renewed by the Spirit of God if you've gone down that road. And may and especially by the washing of regeneration, new life. First Peter chapter one, verse twenty three, Peter writes this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The person also receives a renewed mind, one who sets their mind on the things of the spirit. How much do we hear of that today? One who sets their minds on their mind on the things of the spirit is being governed by those things. On which they focus. We read in Romans 8 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The person becomes a new creature. As a reminder, believers are united with Jesus, both in his death and his resurrection allowing us to participate 
in the new creation. Restored by Christ to be what God had originally created us to be. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And finally, the person receives a new spirit. God pours out his spirit upon his people, uniting us in his purpose and empowering us to maintain maintain our righteousness. Don't you ever forget that, that God is with you to help you maintain your righteousness. He's pouring out your, his spirit upon us always. God says in Ezekiel, going back to the Old Testament, in chapter 11, verse 19, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God does this so that we may walk in his statutes, thus truly becoming his people, his church. The second wonderful thing that we see here in verse 9 that God does for believers, <coughs> excuse me, is that we become a royal priesthood. All believers now have access to God through the death of Christ into the holiest of holies, the very presence of God, right along with Christ. Believers can approach God with boldness because we possess Christ's righteousness and not our own. The writer of Hebrews pens this in chapter 10, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh. You see, through Christ's blood, we have perpetual access to God himself. This is what we're getting out of these verses. And we have, we have, we're halfway through verse 9. This is the glorious message of the, of the gospel, church. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, God creates into us a royal priesthood. God makes a royal priest out of each and every one of us. Do you believe that? We become priests, royal priests, unto the God of almighty creation. He gives us open access into his presence forever and ever. These are the things we have to remember. These are the things that we have to be reminded of. These are the things we need to be encouraged about tonight. I believe this is a timely message. We can actually approach God any time. In fact, God expects us to live in his presence all the time, to fellowship and commune and to walk in his presence every day, all day, 24 hours a day. Now, note the word royal in royal priesthood. This simply means that we are priests of royalty, priests who belong to the sovereign majesty of the universe, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Church, we are the priesthood of God himself. 
the priests who rule and reign with Christ and who serve and worship God face to face, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. We are the priests who live and move and have our being in his presence, who walk and live in open communion with him. John, writing to the seven churches in Revelation, tells us what Jesus has done for his church in chapter 1, verse 6. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Church, here's a thought for us. How many of us actually live in the presence of God like this? How many know what it is to have an unbroken communion with God? How many know what it is to be praying always? May God convict our hearts and stir us to recommit our lives to prayer and communion. Praying always. To seeking an unbroken, to seeking an unbroken communion and fellowship with him. Every moment of the 24 hours of every day. That's what we're, we're getting out of this past, this, these verses. Next, believers become a holy nation. This is a very meaningful title for believers. Just think about it. God is building a new nation of people. He is drawing people from all over the world people from all the nations of the world and creating a new nation. In the New Testament, holy, which is hagios in the Greek, hagios, means what? Separated. Set apart and different. Set apart by or for God. Hagios. Any person who is willing to separate from the sin and the evil of the world and set his or her life unto God, God will take that person and make them a citizen of his holy nation. This is what holy means, to be different from the world, from its sin, from its evil and death. It means to be separated from the evil life of this world and set apart to the holy life of God. The person who turns to God becomes a citizen of God's holy nation. One one who serves the sovereign head of God, the sovereign head of God's nation, even God himself. One who obeys the laws of God's nation. They become one who is dedicated to follow the customs and the lifestyles of God's nation. One who speaks up for and defends the nation of God, God's church. We read in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves 
which means make yourself holy and you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, brothers and sisters, what God wanted for the Israelites, he also desires for his church 2,000 years later. Remember, to be holy means to be separate. As God's people are separated to him, we become more and more conformed to his image, to be the person God intended us to be when he created the first man and the first woman back in Genesis 1 in those two special verses, verses 26 and 27. Holiness in God's people involves grace and righteousness, integrity and peace, and mercy. Why? Because these are characteristics of God. The same God who has redeemed us through his Son and whom we serve. The fourth thing that we find here in verse 9, that this great act of God that he does for the believers in the church, is that we become God's own special people. A people who belong to God. A peculiar people, the King James reads. A peculiar people. The Greek means a people for God's own possession. The people to be his very own. And a people saved to be his own. In Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 17, Dr. Luke writes this. He, John the Baptist, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people for the Lord. To make ready a people for the Lord. The prepared people are those whom God has drawn to himself for his special purposes, his church. This is the most precious thought. Think about this, that God makes us his very own people. A very special possession of his. A possession, possession has, a, has a, the idea of a value, of worth and, and preciousness. And we become God's possession. We are more precious to God than all the precious gems and treasures in the world. Possession also has the idea of provision, of protection, and security. We are God's possession. His very special people. Therefore, he will provide and he will protect us. For he protects those to whom he has adopted into his family. God will make us secure in every sense of the word. As his church, do we know what our purpose is? Why does God do so much for believers? There's one supreme reason. Go back to verse 9b. That you may proclaim the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The statement that you may proclaim that ye should show forth in the King James means to speak forth, to tell out, to publish abroad, to set forth. The word praises are ariete. It's either ariete or ariete in the Greek means virtues, excellencies, and the supreme eminent qualities of God. Did you ever know that about praises? Virtues and excellencies, the supreme and eminent qualities of God. It's the same word which describes glory and virtue. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3b, where it ends, who called us, speaking of Christ, who called us by glory and virtue. These words suggest the qualities of Jesus that attract believers to him. Jesus' virtue is his moral excellence that that continually awed his disciples. John saw it in his authority and power. Probably Peter saw it in the transgression. It's his excellencies which shine forth in our gratuitous calling and into the whole work of salvation. We are to proclaim the moral goodness of God. We all know that the very task of the believers to witness for God, to share the glorious message of God. So what is the message? Note this verse again. The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The message that we share is a glorious message of salvation. God will deliver man out of darkness into light. This is what he does. This is what he has done for believers. Therefore, we are to proclaim that glorious truth, that God has saved us through the light of the world, through Jesus Christ himself. He has saved us out of the darkness of sin and death and delivered us into the light of eternity. We shall live forever. We are to praise God, proclaim the glorious message of his marvelous light in salvation. Amen. Take note, church. We are more than messengers. We are representatives. Representatives of the sovereign God who sends us. Remember, God has made us new creatures in Christ. And he has even given us the ministry of reconciliation. Tell the world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's so important, those words. We are his ambassadors. Give praise to God for his awesome works always. 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 66, 16, Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Love that one. We can all contest to that. Now, down to verse 10. It's a lot for one verse. Verse 10, we'll pick it up there. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Believers, know what has happened to us. Here's two great facts out of these verse, this verse about believers that are covered here. The first fact is, in the past, believers were not a people, but now have become, have been made into the people of God. They've become the people of God. Now, the, the scripture says, not a people. This is striking language. What does the scripture mean, not to be a people? Are unbelievers not people? I thought about this a lot. It means to be without perfect purpose and significance in life, to be missing the very point of life, the very reason for living. It means God created man and gave man life. If man does not live that life, then he is not living, not in the real sense of living. He exists, but, he is, but he's missing out on life, on what life really is. He is missing the very purpose, meaning, and significance of life. He shall never fulfill, satisfy, or complete the purpose of life. But when a person comes to God's Son, when a person enters the light of Christ... God saves him and gives him the light of life. He is given the light of life's purpose, meaning, and significance. He becomes a member of the people of God. He fulfills and satisfies and completes life and all that life is meant to be. Now, one of my favorite quotes from one of our good old friends, bless his soul, C.S. Lewis, is this. God became man so that men could become sons of God. Ever heard that before? God became man so that men could become sons of God. Makes sense. John 1.12 reads in the, in the King James, I like this 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 verbiage here. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's the complete light. That's giving man life's purpose and meaning and significance. The final great fact that we find in verse 10. In the past, believers had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Before we were saved, we were like everyone else. 
We ignored and neglected and cursed and rebelled against and rejected God. We, we refused to change our lives and to cry out for mercy to God. Therefore, God could not have mercy upon us. But when we repented with a repentful heart, confession and repentful heart, and we turned to God, God had mercy upon us and he saved us. He forgave our sin and neglect and brought us into his love and grace and gave us the glorious privilege of living with him forever. God's love never fails. Lamentations says in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. God had mercy upon us, church, and allowed us the glorious privilege of becoming a member of the people of God. We have been set apart to the Lord and chosen to practice the will of God on earth. We are not to compromise with sinful values and practices of the world. We are to be encouraged and urged to maintain integrity in the world just as Christ did. As in the early church, we need to be steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. For those that don't quite understand what's the apostles' doctrine, well, we know that doctrine means teaching, teaching by the apostles. The apostles' doctrine is having a Bible study. What we're doing tonight, we're learning, we're being taught by the word from the word of God. We need to be steadfast in that. And we need to not be leaving it here. We need to be taking it out those doors. Amen? So share the truth of the living hope that is in you. Go back and read these verses again tonight. Have that blessed assurance of the kind of people we are. Do we know who we are? Who are we, church? People of God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is what I want to leave you with. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then go down a few verses to verse 21. And be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared in every good work. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads now. We thank you, Lord, with 
I know so many of us cannot even put it into words when we truly read your scriptures and seek your heart through your word. Lord, we just skim through these pages so many times and we need to be reminded of your truths. We need to be reminded that we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. People that you have chose to be your people, to be your ambassadors here. Oh, Lord, help us through our busy lives and through these these times that, Lord, you know as leaders and the congregation here at Calvary Chapel Tustin, so many that I talk to and we share what's going on with one another, there's really not a lot of, of, of that fear and discouragement because we do know who we are, Lord. And we do know that you'll protect us and you'll provide for us because of those two big PP words, your possession and your, provi- your provision. Lord, but we need to take heed of from your word and from your teaching is to apply it to a dead and lost world because there are so many who are becoming members of your people, of your nation, of this new race, even in other countries, Lord. We're hearing about stories of salvation coming out of the Muslim world. And so many are becoming believers in the true and living God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the stories we're hearing, Lord. So, Lord, help us, equip us, unite us together, Lord. May we know that we are all the same. We are all one big family. And, Lord, we we thank you for this night and the privilege to come together and to study your word in a Bible study. And, Father, as we leave here, may you get all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.